going through tonight, we are going through the book of Jeremiah. We're going through the Bible, actually, and we are all the way into Jeremiah. Chapter, anyone remember? Because it's been a while. 35. Chapter 35 of Jeremiah. Anyone who needs a Bible, please raise your hand. Jeremiah 35, let's pray before we begin. Lord, we thank you for this evening, and I just pray that you open up this wonderful book to us, the story of this wonderful prophet. What an example to us in 2012, Lord, the prophet Jeremiah. And I just pray that you would encourage us this evening by this word, in Jesus' name, amen. So... The setting here in Jeremiah 35, Jerusalem is surrounded by an enemy king. The city appears to be walled up and defending itself against the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Hundreds years of, of years earlier, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt into the promised land, into the uh, land of Israel. The Moses addressing Israel on the plains of Moab. He was told he couldn't go in, but he wanted to, to give them a number of warnings before they went into the promised land. They'd been out in the wilderness for 40 years. And you got the whole nation of Israel on the plains of Moab outside of the, the land of Israel. This is on the other side of the Jordan before they crossed over. And he said to them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I love this chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, when you go in and you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land which there was no water and brought water for out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end. Beware, verse 17, lest you say in your heart, it was my power and the might of my hand have gamed me this wealth. 
And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall perish. And as the nations which the Lord's dest- Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not o- be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. And that was what Moses said to the Israelites when they were on the other side of the Jordan right before they passed through and occupied it. He said, Man, when you get over there and you're enjoying the crops and you're enjoying the vineyards and you're, you're enjoying the beautiful houses which I will give you, beware lest you say in your heart, oh, it was me. I did this. And it's interesting. I don't know if you noticed the progression, but after they said that is when they started worshiping foreign gods. Well, now, hundreds of years later, Something like 700 years later, Jeremiah chapter 35 is surrounded by the enemy and the judgment that Moses said would happen seven or 800 years earlier is on the verge of happening. The Israel generation after generation had been uh, worshiping other gods, and now they are nearing the end. And I want to just flash up on the screen just for everybody, um, just another brief um, history. So after Moses uh, gave this speech that I just read you in Deuteronomy chapter um, 8, they went in, they went through the period of the judges, first king was Saul, then David, then Solomon, then there was a Um, a civil war, then there was a divided kingdom. And if you could just scroll down, um, on the left is the nation of Judah. That's the line of the Messiah. You can uh, continue scrolling down. And uh, rather on the right is Judah. And so we come to the very end here, just a little bit more. And we are at this guy right here. Josiah right here was the last good king of Judah, good king of Israel. Uh, Then one of his sons reigned just for three months. The king of Egypt came in and took him out. Then another son, Jehoiakim, reigned. Uh, He reigned for about 10 years. Uh, And then Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar, uh, came in and wiped him out eventually. And uh, we'll see that today. Then Nebuchadnezzar put up this puppet king, Zedekiah, who can hardly be said to be a king of Israel. He was really a puppet king. He was not the son. I think it was a nephew of Josiah. But uh, anyway, this is where we are at the very, very end in the reign of Jehoiakim. Uh, just to give you some, some context there, it says in chapter 35, uh, uh, Jeremiah here started here in the reign of Josiah to prophesy and teach the word of God. And he is the prophet right actually through Zedekiah. So he prophesied for quite 
uh, a number of years. And uh, here he is in chapter 35 in the reign of Jehoiakim. It says in verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, go to the house of the Rechabites. Speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, his brothers, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord. So the house of the Lord is the temple into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdalia, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. Then I set before the sons of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. But they said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, build a vineyard, nor have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners." Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father. In all he charged us to drink no wine in all our days. We, are, we, our wives, our sons, our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have a vineyard, field, or seed. But we have dwelt in tents, and we have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But... It came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians, so we dwell at Jerusalem. So what in the world is going on here? Good question. You have... A foreign army outside of Jerusalem. They have attacked. They, the people of Jerusalem have ignored the prophets who have been warning them, turn back to God, turn back to God, turn back to God. They've been ignoring it. And so God, just as he told Moses in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, is actually using the Babylonians, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, to... to um, to exercise judgment against Jerusalem and against Israel. And so uh, the area is all surrounded. They're in Jerusalem. They're refusing to repent. Jeremiah over and over and over is, is trying to get them to turn back to God. Uh, he is warning them of the doom, the judgment to come. They're refusing to uh, turn. And we see in the first 34 chapters, the Lord is using Jeremiah sort of in many, many different ways and to do different things to try to get them to pay attention. At one time, at one time he uh, went around with a yoke meaning, you know, the yoke that they put on oxen. He walked around uh, the city with a yoke on him saying, 
because of your sin, you're going to have this yoke of a foreign king on you if you don't turn around. Uh, And these are the types of things that he did and the prophets did at that time. They were ignoring everything. So here, the, the Lord tries a different thing. He brings this family of people. They are called the Rechabites. And he brings them into the temple. He has Jeremiah bring to the temple. And he has... And right before all the priests and the religious leaders, he, Jeremiah says, okay, now drink this wine. He puts a bowl of wine before them. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. Now, who in the world are these people? Anyone remember them from our study in the past? They actually appeared in, this, in our past studies. Anyone remember? Boy, I will give you like five stars. I'll give you stickers all over your head if someone gets this. So what? Oh, I'll put it right on his bald head, right on the top so everyone will see it. Oh, I don't know about that. Should we give him a star? Yes, we will. Um, So remember in the north, King Ahab married to who? Jezebel. One wicked couple, Jezebel and Ahab. Very good, uh, Jezebel. And uh, they, Ahab was, you could say, single-handedly responsible, he and his wife Jezebel, for turning an entire nation over to foreign gods. And he did all kinds of people, like he, uh, things like he murdered his neighbors. He killed hundreds of prophets. Uh, this guy, Ahab, he was a wicked guy. Well, there was a guy at that time by the name of Jonadab. And Jonadab at that time uh, looked around at what was going on in his country, and he decided to basically remove his family from the tremendous wickedness that was going on. And one of the things that he did, he goes, look, I I don't want this family to have anything to do with the wickedness that is prevailing in this country. And, And so he instituted a rule which, you know, they would drink no wine. And not only that, they would live in tents because the cities, it's kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah, had gotten to be so bad, he removed himself from there. And, he, and, and basically, we're going to be nomads. We're not going to drink wine. We're not going to plant any vineyards uh, lest we be tempted uh, with wine. And uh, this was actually a couple hundred years before, something like six or seven generations before Jeremiah. This guy named Jehu was used by the Lord to come in and wipe out the uh, family and, and, and basically the kingdom of this guy, King Ahab. Uh, Ahab, remember with the prophet Elijah, came to Ahab over and over and over again. Elijah uh, at warning him, uh, telling him to turn back to God. Uh, 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 Ahab never did so. So there's this guy, Jehu, shows up on the scene. And this, this guy, the descendants of these people who were showing up in Jeremiah 35, uh, the descendant, his name is uh, Jonadab, sh- shows up and Jehu has, hey, you want to get up in the chariot with me? And this guy Jonadab does and they go over and up into Samaria and, and the whole 
all the relatives of Ahab are, are wiped out just as the Lord had prophesied through the prophet um, Elijah. Well, lo and behold, here in Jeremiah, this guy turns up again. And he brings him into the temple, and he tells him, uh, the, the family, rather, it's, it, it's not him, it's his descendants, and he tells the family, hey, puts wine before him, drink wine. And uh, they say, no, we're not going to do that. Why? Because our descendant, this guy uh, Jonadab, uh, told us... Uh, told us not to, and we're honoring him. Now, Matt, here's your chance to get five stars. I'm just going to give you one. Do you know what tribe this guy Jonadab descended from? You're not allowed to use footnotes. Anyone know? They were Kenites. Does anyone know of a famous Kenite in the Bible? I'll give you a hint. Tent peg. That lady. Who's that lady? Jail. That's right. She drove a tent peg through an enemy king. She was a Kenite. The Kenites were basically joined. They were not Jews. They were not Hebrews, but they joined themselves to these, uh, to these people, uh, they jo- join themselves to the Jews, and so they, they pretty much are what you would call converts into the worship of, of, of Jehovah. And uh, so anyway, Jeremiah brings them before, says, drink wine, before all the priests, the religious leaders, they say no, and, and, and they give the, the explanation why. They say we're honoring our 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 descendant, Jonadab, and then in verse 12 it picks up and it says, then the, the, came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction to obey my word, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of uh, Rechab, which is comm- which he commanded his sons not to drink wine are performed for to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment but although I have spoken to you rising early and speaking you did not obey me I have also sent to you all my servants the prophets rising up early and sending them saying turn now everyone from his evil way amend your doings and do not go after other gods to serve them then you will do well in the land which I have given you and your fathers, but you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but this people has not obeyed me. So the, the, the word is, look, here is a human tradition and, and a prohibition against drinking alcohol is a, is, is a human tradition. It, it you don't see that in the Bible. The Bible does not prohibit drinking wine. It, it actually, the Bible teaches moderation uh, with alcohol. It also teaches, by the way, that you know if someone around you is going to be stumbled or offended by your drinking alcohol, then you have to love them enough to abstain. Uh, but it is not it, prohibition. There's no prohibition in the Bible prohibiting alcohol. However, certain 
people throughout the ages, uh, Christians and, and here uh, Jews or converts to Judaism have decided to take that direction. And Jeremiah is saying, here are people who are honoring a human tradition, and they've done it for six, seven generations. But you guys, where your, your, your father in heaven ha- has, has pleaded with you to obey the law of God, not a human tradition, but the law of God, the word of God, and, and you would have none of it. And, and so what Jeremiah is doing, he's trying to point to them an example of a, 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 you know, of a person who's actually, they're, they're zealous for the law when it, it, the, the particular law is, is a human tradition. And he's just, again, the Lord is through Jeremiah just trying to do anything. He's sort of lowering self, himself, humbling him, just trying to do anything to, to get them to, to see the absurdity of their rebellion against the Lord. Uh, but they... Uh, but they, you know, we'll, we'll find out here. They're not going to listen to this uh, either. Uh, they say in verse 17, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard. And I have c- called to them, but they have not answered. And so we read this morning in, in, in the book of Acts, God c- commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn to him. The story of the whole Bible since Genesis chapter 3 is repent, turn to God, turn to him, follow him. It, it, you know, even today us, the, the, uh, you know, in Isaiah it says it's in re- repentance and rest is, it, 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 you know, is our... Um, you know, is our confidence, is our trust in, in that sort of life of repentance and turning to God. And it says in Jeremiah verse 18, said to the house of the Rechabites, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he commanded you, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. And so if you go into the commentaries and into the hi- uh, histories of, uh, of Israel, you, there are many reportings. I, uh, the, actually, I read ab- about a, a Calvary Chapel. I heard about a Calvary Chapel pastor going to south of Israel. You actually run into Bedouin nomads, Bedouin tribes, nomads, who point to this verse. And, and to this day, they don't drink uh, alcohol, and they live in tents. And so this verse 19 appears uh, that there's been a fulfillment of that. I've also read in Iraq and Yemen and these other places, they point to these people um, as, as descending from these people. And you know, I, I do let, you know, Jesus has fulfilled all the Old Testament law for us. And, and he said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. And uh, the, Jesus really is a fulfillment 
you know, when I look at a verse like verse 19, which says, Jonadab, the son of Rahab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. I just, I just see as well, Jesus is a fulfillment of him. He told us to be sojourners. You know what a sojourner is? It's a pilgrim, a temporary citizen. Uh, I, I like that word, sojourner. In First Peter uh, 2.11, Peter says, Beloved, I beg you, not I suggest, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. So one of the ways to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your um, souls is, is just to be a sojourner, a pilgrim. And, and what is a sojourner? It's, it's someone who is a temporary citizen. The Bible says that a child of God, you're, you're, you're not a citizen of this world. You're a citizen of heaven. You're a temporary resident. And what do temporary residents do? They don't let their heart get rooted into anything in this world. They put their hand lightly on everything. They, they, you know, we were talking this morning just about the importance of giving up all those sacred cows that we won't give to the Lord, those things that our heart has been rooted into. Our heart's supposed to be rooted into one, and it is Jesus Christ. And we're told to be pilgrims. We're just passing. What is a pilgrim? It's someone who's just passing through. It's a temporary citizen. Jesus is the fulfillment of, I believe, of, 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 of really this, this statement by, by Jeremiah, Jonadab, the son of Rahab, shall not lack a man to stand me before me forever. He, you know, he uh, and we in him, we are sojourners. We're temporary pilgrims. We don't, we're told, don't put our hand too, too forcibly on anything. You know, that includes our job. Uh, that includes... Um, as we were talking about this morning, our, even our families, our, our relationships, our hobbies, the, the pleasures of life. We're sojourners. And so this wonderful picture of this family that had separated themselves during the time of Ahab, and here they are, their testimony is coming up uh, seven generations, six, seven generations later in the time right before the nation was about to fall. It says in verse 11 that they had to move out from the, the, you know, the rural parts of, of Judah and Israel because Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, had come in, so they were forced to actually move their tents right into Jerusalem. So in chapter 36, now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying... Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations. From the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah, even to this day, it may be that those of the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way. And so... Just as Jose taught on Jonah a couple months ago, just as Jonah came into Nineveh and said in, in, you know, in 30 or 40, I always forget, in 40 days, 
Nineveh will be destroyed. And they repented. And so the same thing, the Lord's telling Jeremiah, you tell them all the bad things that are going to happen to them, and maybe they'll be like Nineveh, and they will turn around. And, um, and he says in verse 3, that I may forgive their iniquity. God wants to forgive. He longs to forgive. And he seeks to forgive. And that's what he's doing here. He's using Jeremiah to do that. It says, then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah. And Baruch wrote in a scroll of a book at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. So Baruch was like a secretary. We're also going to find out he's more than that. He's, an, he's actually a spokesperson for Jeremiah. Verse 5, and Jeremiah commanded Baruch saying, I am confined. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. You go, therefore, and read from the scroll which, which, you, ha- um, which you have written at my instruction. The words of the Lord in the hearing of the people in the house of the, the Lord's house on the day of fasting. And you shall also read them in the hearing of Judah, who, of all Judah who comes from their cities. So it says in verse 5, Jeremiah says, I am confined. And we don't know exactly what this means. He's not in prison because we're going to see in a little while the king's going to try to find Jeremiah and bring him to a prison. Apparently what's happened, similar to the time of King Ahab, all the prophets have gone into hiding. And there's a price a tag on Jeremiah's head. Now, this same king, Jehoiakim, in chapter 26, we read that he put another prophet, Urijah, to death. Actually, uh, the, the, the prophet Urijah fled to Egypt, and the king, this same king, Jehoiakim, sent his people down to Egypt, dragged the guy back, and killed him. So Jeremiah is dealing with, you know, a serious antagonist here in the king. So he's confined. And so he says to this guy, Baruch, you go to the temple. You go to the temple and be my spokesman. Now, this guy, Baruch, is a fascinating character. Uh, We do read about him again in in chapter 45. We'll, We'll get there in a few weeks. But... You can only imagine being Jeremiah or Baruch at this time. We read in the first couple chapters, God told him before he started his ministry that kings will come against you, princes and all the people of the land are going to come against you. It's just going to be you against all them, no one else. And in chapter 45, uh. Jeremiah says to this guy, Baruch, he says, do you seek great things for yourselves? Do not seek them, because it ain't going to happen, not in this time. A man of God, a woman of God is not going to become great, not in this time, not in this time of wholesale rebellion of the people throughout the land. Uh, Do you seek great things for yourself? Don't do it, because I'm going to bring adversity, verse 5 of chapter 45, I'm going to bring adversity on all flesh says the Lord, but I will give you your life to you as a prize in all places wherever you go. In other words, you're going to live, but it's going to be a hard life. Why? Because the entire land, the entire land 
that you live in. They're coming against the Bible. They're coming against the Word of God. And that's a, you know, a, a, actually a, a word for us in some ways today. Don't think great things for yourself. Because you're, you know, in terms of being famous and having people like you. And, and, and uh, you know, Jesus said to, to, the, to the crowd, he said, beware when all men speak well of you. Beware. Because if all men speak well of you, there's got to be something wrong. You must not be living by the word of God. And so a similar message here to Baruch. And so he says, now you go. You go to the house of the Lord. And uh, so he does. He does. He gets up and he goes. And uh, it says in verse 7, it may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord. So amazing. So he tells this guy, Baruch, maybe they'll listen to you. It could be that they will turn around. They have ignored me. Maybe they'll listen to you. And it's incredible. And by verse 7, uh, at, you know, by this time, you know, Jeremiah has been persecuted. I believe he's already been punched out and struck and arrested and, 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 and these type of things. It's amazing. He still has a heart for the people. And, you know, it, again, I, I quoted this verse uh, this morning from Timothy. Paul said to Timothy, the end of the commandment is love. The end of, your, uh, of our instruction to you is love. The purpose of love, the goal is love, meaning the entire instruction of the word of God, if it's not leading us into a direction of love, something is gravely wrong. And I'm so encouraged after 23 years of preaching the word of God and being at Jeremiah here is still, he has a heart for these people. It's not, Lord, you know, send fire upon them like James and John were with Jesus at the very beginning of their walk with God. God, send, you know, fire upon the city of Samaria. No, he's 23 years into his ministry. He's got scars, I'm sure, literal scars on his body. He's in hiding, but he's still, in verse 7, maybe they will turn around and present their supplication, meaning their prayer to the Lord, and everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury, the fury that the Lord has pronounced against this people. Ay, 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 I tell you. When you hear that the Lord is furious with you, uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, the first definition of love given in 1 Corinthians, thir- 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is what? Love suffers long. That means... God suffers with our rebellion. That's a, that, that, by the way, is a description of God's love for us. When God has gotten to the point that he's furious with a people, it's been a long time. Again, in the Greek, that word long-suffering means it takes a long time to boil over. It takes, a long, takes us five minutes to boil over. All we have to do is go out into Boston traffic and have someone have it, you know, that cuts us off and we're boiling over. The Bible says God suffers long. It takes a long time for him to boil over. By the way, in the spirit, as we grow in the Lord, we can, uh, be, uh, in the, we can have the same testimony ourselves, but it says he, there's fury but, uh, towards the people. But uh, Jeremiah tells Baruch, it may be that, that somehow maybe they'll listen to you 
I think that's really cool. You know, if, if I've been rejected, you know, uh, out street witnessing or something, I, I think it's a pretty good testimony to say, well, hey, they didn't listen to me. Why don't you go? They just punched me out. They mocked me. They laughed at me. Why don't you go? Maybe, maybe those same people, you know, who left an imprint of their fist on my head, whatever, maybe they'll listen to you, uh, to, to you, what a heart this guy had for this people, this guy Jeremiah, so much we can learn from him. Verse 8, and Baruch, son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. Now it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and to all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem. Then Baruch read from the book the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. So they had proclaimed a fast. People from all over the countryside came to Jerusalem to the temple. Baruch shows up and starts reading to them, you guys are going to be wiped out if you don't turn to God. That's what's going on here. And it says in the middle of verse 10, it says, In the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the scribe, in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house, in the hearing of all the people. So all the people are hearing this. And in in verse 11, when Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of these books, he, he then went down to the king's house into the scribe's chamber, and there all the princes were sitting. Elishama the scribe, Deleah, the son of Shemaiah, Elnathan, the son of Akbor, Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. Then Micaiah declared to them all the words that he had heard from Baruch. He read the book and the hearing that Baruch read in the hearing of all the people. Therefore, all the princes sent to Jehudi, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushi, to Baruch, saying, Take in your hand the scroll from which you have read in the hearing of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them. And they said to him, Sit down now and read it in our hearing. So Baruch read it in their hearing. And now it happened when they had heard all the words that they looked in fear from one to another. And they said to Baruch, we will surely tell the king of all these words. So now there's some hope here. You know, you have the cities on the verge of getting overtaken um, by judgment. Baruch shows up at this fast where people from all over the countryside had come to. And, and just, just as an aside here, this fast is really, it's just a big sham. It had been called by religious leaders of the time who were, Jeremiah had pronounced them to be hypocrites. They had, they're the ones that sent Jeremiah into hiding. And it just goes to so, show you that religion can be an evil thing. It, it, it can be just something that is used by religious leaders to manipulate the people, to provide a front and a guise of, of spirituality to the people when it may be nothing of the sort. So a bunch of false religious hypocrites called this fast. And, and all the people, you know, showed up. And religion has been used this way for thousands of years just to, as a front to, 
to, to, you know, to manipulate people, to, to control them. But who shows up in the middle of it all of this? It's amazing what the devil means for bad, God can use for good. Who shows up in the middle of it all? Baruch. And he starts reading to all of them. And it says a, people, a couple of the people heard uh, this and they sent for some of the princes of the time and uh, they repeated it. And the princess says, go get this guy, have him read it to us. And they, uh, Baruch reads it to them. In verse 16, it says, wow, they, they have fear in their hearts, which means what? It means there were still some people in the land who feared the Lord, who loved God, who wanted to follow God. And we're going to see here that they don't have a lot of backbone because the king over them is a wicked, evil dude. But you still have some people. It says in verse 16, um, they, look at, they looked at one another in fear. Why? Because, again, Jeremiah through Baruch had just warned them of all the evil, all the adversities that were going to come upon them if the, if the city did not turn to God. So they're looking at one another going, oh, no, we better tell the king all of this. And verse 17, and they asked Baruch, saying, tell us now, how did you write all these words at his instruction? So some believe that he wrote down the entire book of, it couldn't have been the entire book of, of, of of Jeremiah, but because some of it you know, happens at a later time, but almost all the book of Jeremiah, he wrote all this stuff down. And verse 18, Baruch answered them, he proclaimed with his mouth all these words to me, and I wrote them with ink in this book. Verse 19, then the princess said to Baruch, go and hide you and Jeremiah and let no one know where you are. So they're going to go to the king and they're going to tell all these words to the king. And they know the king's character. They already know. But they're hoping, just in their heart, maybe when we tell them, maybe there's just a chance that he's not going to wig out. But they knew he probably was going to wig out, and he was probably going to try to get a hold of this Jeremiah. They had had already seen him kill another prophet of God, and so they actually tell him, go and hide you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. Verse 20, and they went to the king into the court, but they stored the scroll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe and told all the words in the hearing of the king. So they told the king verbally what it was. And the king sent to Jehudi to bring the scroll. So he said, hey, bring me that scroll. Jehudi is a scribe, meaning someone who is in charge of writing down and reading the law. And he took it from Elishama, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudi read it in the hearing of the king. So the king hears it twice, once verbally, some people relay it to him, and then a scribe actually reads right from the scroll. It says, in the hearing of the king, and with all the princes around, they stood beside the king. Verse 22, now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. In other words, there was a fireplace in the winter months. And it happened, verse 23, when Jehudi had read three or four columns that the king cut it with a scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed, burned in the fire that was on the hearth. So the king threw the Bible, the scrolls, into the fire. Now when your king does that, you're in deep doo-doo. 
You just know your nation. Think, good things will not be happening, you know, around you. And this is what's done. It says, it says that it's interesting, though, verse 24. And remember, the final judgment's not going to come here for about another 15 years. Um, and why did it? Because the Lord waits. He waits as long as there's godly people in the land. It says, yet they were not, af- but, but nevertheless, it says, yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words. So what's that a comparison to? Anyone know? Someone else had come before the king with the word of God probably about 20 years before this time. And ironically, it was a son or a grandson of one of these scribes here. He came in. He found the scroll, the word of the Lord, in the temple. And he went into King Josiah. They went into King Josiah 20 years before. And they read the word of God to King Josiah, who is this guy's father, And Josiah heard it, and he was like, oh, no, we have completely violated the word of God. And it says Josiah tore his his clothes, and he repented, and he cried out, and he was afraid. What is going to happen? Because we've disobeyed all this law. That's what Josiah did. Well, the contrast here, and this is, again, it's the downward spiral of the nation, is in verse 24, where it says, that they heard all the words, but they were not afraid, nor did they tear any of their garments, the kings, nor any of their servants who heard these words. In fact, the king burned. He burned the Bible. But it does say in verse 25, nevertheless, Elnathan, Deleah, and Gemariah, Gemariah was the son of the grandson of the guy who had read the scrolls to Josiah. Here is, here's his grandson. Here's a godly heritage. See, even in a very wicked time, if you live a godly life, you pass that heritage on to your kids, no matter how bad it is around them, don't fear the world overtaking your your kids' lives as if God is smaller than the world. Don't do that. Here he is. It's either the son or the grandson. I will tell you. It was his son. It was his son. Here is his, his son, And the godly heritage of his father, who had read the scrolls to Josiah, had been passed on to his son. Here's his son, still living in a much more wicked time. He's still, though, he's living for the Lord. God is bigger than the world that we send our kids into. And this is an encouragement to me as uh, as a father of five children. This guy's still loving the Lord. In verse 25, this guy, Jemariah, implored the king not to burn the scroll but he would not listen to them. God help us when we're in a situation at work or at school or in our neighborhood where we see before our very eyes some kind of superior, a boss or whoever or some popular person doing something that's clearly evil and is opposed to God, publicly denigrating or despising the word of God. God help us if we don't say anything and and we keep our mouth shut. You know, there were a few times, I was in the corporate world for 20 years, there was a few times where the, the folks above me were clearly taking a direction that was wrong, very wrong, and I just had to make a decision. For, I just had to make a decision. 
Who is my Lord? Who is my God? I, and and, and one or two, once or twice, I was almost certain I was going to lose my job. And I just, but I stepped up and I just said, this is wrong. <laughs> and it was just amazing. The Lord was faithful. But, you know, sometimes there will, and I kept my job, but, you know, so there, 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 there are times where people have to lose their, their jobs or they're persecuted. But guess what? The Lord is faithful and he preserves us. He promised Baruch. He would reward him with his life. And, 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 you know, Jeremiah this whole time, he's not taken away to be with the Lord one second before that is supposed to happen. And what happens in verse 26? And the king commanded Jeremiah, the king's son, Sariah, the son of Israel, Shelemiah, the son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Now, I like to think he just made them invisible. Okay? And, and stuff like that, by the way, does happen. It really, really does. They could have been, you know, going out to, to, to arrest them. They could have been right there in front of uh, their eyes. But the Lord performs a miracle. And he, and, he, and he hid them. The Lord does that. He spoke and the world was created. It's an easy thing for him to do, to make them invisible. Verse 27, now after the king had burned the scroll with the words which Baruch had written in the, at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, take yet another scroll and write on it all the former words that were written in the first scroll. Baruch's probably going, you got to be kidding me. Oh, no. It, by the way, if you add up the time, it took a whole year. For uh, in, in the beginning of chapter 36, when Jeremiah first says, do this, and then between that time and the time Baruch went and told all the people it was written in school, it took him a whole year. you got to be kidding me. It took me a whole year. You can't just take a file like you do today and plug it into new, some new thing. It's, it's already there. A whole new year. You know, uh, Psalm 119, 89. Uh, Paul's dad, Mark, spoke on Psalm 19. Oh, anytime I see a sermon on someone... 119, I go, oh, yes, I want it. I want to listen to this. Psalm 19, what a great psalm. It says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. You can't destroy the word of God. You can't destroy the Bible. They've tried to do it for hundreds and hundreds of years. There have been periods of history they tried to find uh, every single Bible in the land and destroy it. You can't do that. Today, there's hundreds of millions of Bibles all around the world. And, and, and so, uh, but he tried to do that, but, you know, they got this guy Baruch, and, and he wrote it all down again. And verse 29, and you shall say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, thus says the Lord, you have burned the scroll, saying, why have you written in it? Uh, that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from here. Therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. And so eventually, if you look in Jeremiah 22, verse 19, this guy Jehoiakim, he was thrown, he appears to have been thrown over the wall of Jerusalem 
and given to Nebuchadnezzar because at the very end of his reign, the people freak out and they chuck his body over the wall. And he's killed there. And he's not given a decent burial um, there. But also, very, very interesting, notice how it says, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David. Meaning no one after him is going to sit on the throne of David. Now, isn't that a problem? Because you see this guy in the book of Matthew in the line of the Messiah, Jehoiakim. Whereas you do have this prophecy, very specific prophecy, that no one after him was going to rule on the throne of David. But Jesus is the son of David. The Bible says he's going to, ru- he's going to be on the throne of David forever. Anyone know the, anyone want a star on their bald head or their head with hair? The question is, how do you reconcile the fact that this says none of his descendants are ever going to reign on the throne of David? And he's, and he's last really listed in the line of the Messiah, Jesus. He's listed in the book of Matthew. That's right. There it is. He has hair. It's going to stick. It's going to hurt when he pulls out the sticker because it's like a Band-Aid on hair. I'm going to put it on Andrew's head. In the book of Luke, you have a different genealogy, which is, is the line of the Messiah through David's son, Nathan. Jehoiakim descended from Solomon, and he was the, basically, he went all the way to Joseph, but we know that Jesus had no blood of his father Joseph in him. He did have blood of his mother Mary, and Mary descended from a different line of kings that descended from David. So really, really interesting. I, I read this. Uh, I, I remember hearing this uh, David Hawking in California, who used to be showbiz pastor a long time ago. Uh, it's, some rabbi called, called him out of the blue. He, he's one of these guys. He's Jewish himself who converted to uh, Christianity. And some rabbi called him and says, Jesus can't be the Messiah. It says very specifically that in, in Jeremiah uh, 36 that, you know, no one will ever reign on the, uh, uh, the uh, you know, from who's descended from Jehoiakim. And here he is in the book of Matthew. So there's still people out there today saying, you know, pointing to this chapter. But in the book of Luke, you see uh, a reconciliation there. In verse 32, it says, Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch, the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And besides, there were added to them many similar words. So it says, in addition to writing down everything he had written down earlier, he added more, including what? What? Including what? What did he add to everything he had before? That's right, he's going to die. Very good. Which is a hint to us, don't throw a Bible into the fire. Because, <laughs> because there'll be an additional prophecy directed towards you. And it actually is the truth. He added to what had been written another little prophecy. And, you know, verse 30, he shall have no one to sit on the throne, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. And today, you know, we see in the United States of America, 
You can go into any of these seminaries in the city of Boston, Harvard, BU. They are literally with a penknife, just, just as the king did. Remember, the king actually cut up the Bible with a knife before he threw it in the fire. It's doing the same thing today, just cutting entire portions of the Bible out. And you probably heard about the Jesus Seminar. They gathered scholars from all around the country, not born-again people, not Christians, but scholars of the Bible. And they threw a, lot, a system of lots. They put lots into some hat or whatever of what verses of the Bible, what verses in, in the Gospels were actually did Jesus say, and they came up with just one. It was in the book of John, uh, Matthew or something, blessed are the meek. Everything else Jesus didn't say. They're doing that today. They're taking a penknife. And, and, you know, they've been doing that really since um, the late 19th century. But, but what did we learn from here? You can't do away with the Bible. You, you can, they've tried to do it for thousands of years, but you can't do that. Why? Psalm 119.89, forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. I don't know. I'm really encouraged by this guy, Jeremiah, but uh, we'll pick up next week in chapter 37. We end our Sunday nights with prayer. We 